So when I was a kid around, actually I'm not sure when it started. I'd have to stop and think about it. Um, Certainly it was, you know, really kicking in in around fifth grade because I remember multiple instances. I was a bit of a klepto. You know what a klepto is. I'm kind of using that in a non-technical like sense, but I stole a bunch of stuff. Money from classmate girls' purses when you, know, you went off to like wood shop or something. Just hang back. Oh, I need to use the bathroom. My little Italian grandma who was so generous with me, took $20 out of her purse. Anyway, other examples. So I grew up in the church, you know, summer camps, church camps, youth retreats, and more than once when the Spirit was working on my heart, I'm hearing the gospel, it was those sins that kept me from yielding. There's actually also some incidents in my freshman year of college that ended up kind of strengthening the chains, we could say. So I, I literally remember times when the Lord's convicting me and it was like, boom, right here. Are you going to trust me with this? And invariably, just turned away. It was too costly. Didn't want to face my sin. Scared me to death to have to deal with that. Well, when God got a hold of me, second semester of my freshman year of college, um, he also gave me faith to face my sin and deal with it. So no more hiding. And I remember thinking for the first time, I'd rather go to jail with God than continue to try to avoid dealing with this sin. So I actually ended up writing it all out. And I didn't need to do this in order to earn God's favor. I needed to trust him for forgiveness and cleansing and where I had to get something right. Again, it was a matter of trust. So I wrote out this list. This list is, I don't know, this was like 1994 or so that I wrote this out. And you see all the things that are scratched out. Let me tell you the relief it was when I finally scratched everything out on this list. Like, how blessed is the man? We're going to talk about Psalm 32. And so, even as we're singing, I'm thinking about some of this, and God's been good, good to my soul. Yes. And I think many of you would say the same thing. So, so that was hard. And oftentimes, when there's stuff that we don't want to deal with, we can just kind of turn up the noise. We can try to busy ourselves and bury it, avoid it. So let me just ask you, can you be quiet? (laughs) I need to finish that sentence. Can you be quiet? No. Um, Can you be quiet before the Lord? Do you fear too much silence? Are you afraid to be alone with your thoughts? Do you avoid that kind of scenario? Alone with God? I mean, we can, we can believe this stuff and avoid God, like avoid his presence. The question is, why? Why would we do that? Is it guilt? 
So is it that we don't want to deal with our sin? So we can turn up the noise in lots of different ways, right? Even incessant talking can be a way of turning up the noise. We're avoiding our guilt, drowning it out. The radio's always on, the TV's on, whatever. The evil one loves to push us towards silencing our conscience, even doing violence to our conscience. So the conscience is God's servant. It's, it's not perfect. It can be distorted. You, you can be raised in a certain way and feel guilty for, um, I don't know, wearing long pants or something, you know, stupid like that. Uh, you know, like some legalistic background. And so, yes, our consciences can be distorted. But it also can be the servant of the Lord. And sometimes we just stiff arm it, right? We stiff arm the spirit. But if God is convicting us, he's actually wanting to free us and lead us to blessing. So when we stiff arm the spirit, we stiff arm our conscience, we're actually stiff arming blessing. So the message this morning is we need to welcome conviction of sin and confess that sin because God wants to bless us. <laughs> so to welcome God's spirit, to welcome conviction is to welcome his blessing. So let's read Psalm 32 and dive in and study it together here. So Psalm 32, if you're using the Pew Bible, can be found on page 462. So we'll read it together here and then walk through it. Psalm 32, a masculine of David. We're not totally sure what a masculine is. It could be that it's kind of a didactic teaching psalm, um, which makes sense when you look down at verse 8. Um, verse 9, but not totally sure. If you want to know more details about masculine options, you can talk to very right Reverend Dr. D. White Singer, um, who has PhD expertise in the Psalter, in, in the Psalms, all right? Okay, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength, my vitality was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It strikes me, maybe I should also mention, what does Selah mean? Why is that in the Psalter? Again, if you really want to dive deep on this, ra raise your hand, please. Dwight, come on, a little higher. Come on, a little higher. There he is. Okay, great. Um, so it could be like a musical notation. It could be a, you know, something to kind of um, prompt you to pause and ponder. Anyway, more details to Dwight. Um, so here we go. Psalm 32. This is an awesome psalm filled with blessing. We're in a series called How Blessed. How blessed. Um, we're looking at five, six actually, six different psalms because we looked at two the first week um, that all have this language of how blessed is the man or how blessed is the one or how blessed are those who dot, dot, dot. So let's walk the path of, path of blessing. Let's learn where blessing is found and trust God and follow him. All right, so verses one and two here, point number one. Uh, what is point number one? Blessing. <laughs> Okay, blessed is the one whose transgression is, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity. So the psalmist used three different words, three, man, okay, three different words for sin. Transgression, sin, iniquity. We could kind of tease out the nuances of each of those words, but that would kind of distract a little bit, I think, from the main point. The point is that whatever the sin against God alone or also against another human being, whether it's great sin or small sin, quote unquote, unintentional or intentional, sin of omission or commission, it can all be forgiven. Those who get real with God and confess it. Okay, so we don't know if, if the whole Bathsheba, Uriah incident is behind this. It could be, maybe not. But the lack of historical specificity, unlike Psalm 51, which actually says, you know, ties it to the Bathsheba, Uriah incident. The lack of historical specificity means that it applies broadly, regardless of what your sin is. So blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. So that word harkens back to Leviticus 1 and 16. Okay, so the sin was put on the head of the animal and that animal died in your place. Blood covered your sin. Atonement, the day of atonement. Remember there, were, there was a goat and one of them was sacrificed. The other one was sent off into the wilderness. So all your sin is sent off away from you as far as the east is from the west. So the day of atonement, our sin is covered, ultimately pointing to the true and final atoning sacrifice, the Lord Jesus, the lamb slain in our place to take away our sins. So forgiven, they're lifted from us, removed from us and carried away, covered. Obviously atonement, which leads to reconciliation, not counted against him. It's the effect of justification. And all by substitution, Jesus dying in our place, bearing our sin, our iniquity, so that we 
could be set free from our sin. Our sin is on him, his righteousness on us. We're, fr- we're free, we're forgiven. Our sins atone for. Isaiah 53, four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So after three ways to describe what God has done with our sin, forgiven, covered, and no iniquity, verse two goes on to show who receives these blessings. Blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, forgiveness doesn't automatically come to all people. It comes to those who get real with God. It comes to those who are honest with themselves, with God, and where necessary with others. David explains from his own experience. Point number two, honesty, verses three to five. So blessing, now honesty, verses three to five. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So when you hide your sin, when you try to stuff it down, not dealing, dealing with it, that's not the path to blessing. It's the path to misery. He's groaning. It feels like his bones are wasting away. Why did his bones waste away? Well, because he's hiding his sin, but God is disciplining him. Look at verse four. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. <clears throat> my strength, my vitality was dried up as by the heat of summer. So when we run from the light, when we stubbornly resist God's hand of conviction, it only makes us miserable. Anybody ever experienced that? My hand is not up just to prompt you. I am familiar with this. So the picture here, if we tie this into last week, is the opposite of the fruitful tree. How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law, in his teaching, his instruction, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree, fruitful, durable, stable, vital. How blessed is that man? And then we looked at the end of chapter two, Psalm two, how blessed is the one who takes refuge in the king of kings, the son of God who is the king of kings and lord of lords. So, The path of blessing is laid out here. The path of misery is also explained and described. So it's the opposite of that fruitful tree. We don't want this, do we? But we've experienced this. This is what sin does to us. So we should not run away from God with our sins. We should run with our sins to our loving God. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. How blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit, gets honest about his sin. So David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. That's the opposite of that silence in verse three. 
Remember when I kept silent? When I didn't confess? When I tried to stuff it down? I was miserable. I acknowledged my sin to you. I got honest with you. I got real with you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So do you see what happened here? It was three descriptions of God's forgiving mercy and one description of our honesty in verses one to two. You might want to look down at your Bible to see that. So blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, sin covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So three of what God does, one of what we do. Now here in verse five, it's flipped. Three descriptions of confession, one description of forgiveness. You see that? I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover it. I said I will confess and you forgave. So getting real, getting honest with God, with yourself, with others is absolutely necessary to blessing. Blessings are contingent on honesty and integrity. And when I say integrity, I don't mean having it all together. It's not sinlessness, it's sincerity and dealing in the truth, walking in the light. Dane Ortland has a devotional on the Psalms called In You I Take Refuge or something like that. Um, in the Lord I Take Refuge. And he writes this on Psalm 32. Forgiveness does not come to the self-justifying. I think there's a slide if, it, if we have it. Um, forgiveness does not come to the self-justifying. It comes only to the contrite, the honest. One must take off the mask, stop the pretense, humble oneself before the Lord with honest transparency. There is inner health that is nurtured through open confession of one's sins. When we stuff down our guilt, it festers within us. It feels like a death to open up in honesty about our failings, but it is actually the pathway to life and sanity. Therefore, application, right? We're not just here to read about David's experience. He then turns and says to us, point number three, verses six and seven, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. Don't keep silent. Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. So verses three to five described David's experience and because of what he experienced, he's now encouraging us to do the same thing. Don't hide your sin. Don't remain silent. Offer prayer to the Lord. Confess your sin to him. If you pray to him, if you get honest with him, the waters of trouble won't reach you. They won't reach you because you are taking your refuge in Christ. He is our refuge. So those who deal honestly with their sins are those who are in Christ, safe. He's like the ark, saving us from the judgment of God. Those waters of judgment won't reach us. We're safe in Christ. Look at how blessed is the one who deals honestly with God. Look at verse seven. Again, that's the theme here. How blessed is the one. How blessed is the one. Well, here's some of the blessing. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So rather than hiding your sin from the Lord, uncover it. 
and find in him a hiding place. So we can either hide our sin or we can hide in the Lord. Don't run from him or rebel against him or stiff arm him. Run to him. So if we try to hide from him, guess what? We will be exposed. Be sure your sins will find you out, right? Eventually, if we expose our sins, if we confess our sins, you know, 1 John 1, 9, he'll be a hiding place for us. If we try to cover up our sins, there's no cover, certainly not from the eyes of God, even if we can successfully hide it from other people around us. But if we uncover our sins and get real, he'll cover our sins with his blood. So we know that Adam and Eve, you know, it's like the first attempt at this. Fig leaves. Didn't go so well, right? They tried to cover their shame, their guilt, their nakedness with fig leaves. It was a pathetic attempt. It was totally ineffective. Our attempts to cover our guilt are just as pathetic and ineffective. They actually only compound our problems. So there's a Swiss physician who ended up with quite an audience as kind of a pastoral counselor um, some decades ago named Paul Turnier, and he wrote this in a book called Guilt and Grace. A man makes himself, so hopefully this one's up there, yep. So pay attention to this one. It's, I think, pretty significant, but you might have to, you know, like, okay, focus. A man makes himself hard and inflexible in order to escape his guiltiness. The strange paradox present on every page of the Gospels and which we can verify any day is that it is not guilt which is the obstacle to grace as moralism supposes. Think Pharisee. On the contrary, it is the repression of guilt, self-justification, genuine self-righteousness and smugness which is the obstacle to grace. Let me unpack that a little bit. There were a lot of Pharisees in Jesus' day and we all have a little inner Pharisee so we're not all that different. We can be prone to the same things. They were conveniently selective with which laws they kept in order to justify themselves and say that they were righteous. Jesus would put his finger on the nerve of where their heart was at, you lovers of money. So they looked good on the outside, but their hearts were in the wrong place, right? But as soon as he did that, they were totally offended. Like, do you know how righteous we are? Look at all the things we do. So they tried to shift the spotlight away from this thing that was really convicting and they justified themselves with their selective obedience in all these other categories. Have you ever seen the seed of that in your own soul? Here's what I'm talking about. Let's say you're convicted of something. You know something's wrong and you want it and you go after it anyway. Or you knew something was wrong and you did it anyway. And it's gonna be costly to come clean, to get real. To be honest with God and walk in the light. So you can either be honest with yourself and with God and maybe with others and run to Jesus. You can fess up, repent, ask for forgiveness, deal with it, or 
You can fear the consequences of acknowledging your guilt. You don't want to go there. You're so afraid of going there. Be too costly. Like for me, it was first years with the sin of stealing. So guess what strategy sometimes we employ? Well, we just be spiritual in other areas in order to quiet our conscience. We pick a few other categories that we can manage pretty well. We give a little bit more. We read the Bible a little bit more. Though it might actually be hard to pray unless it's kind of in a mechanical way. We try to do more nice things for people, some service and ministry. Why? Because we're trying to salve our guilty conscience without the painful consequence of owning our sin before God and others. Can I just like keep up the noise and just kind of like not deal with that? But, you know, I'll just do better over here and that'll make me feel better and ah, then I don't have to really go there. It's an obedience makeup call. Which at bottom is really a self-justification project. So here's my sin over here. I'm afraid to deal with it because it's going to be too costly. So I'm going to do things over here. And then maybe my conscience will shut up. It's kind of like you're trying to do penance for your sins. Try to fake yourself out. That's not in step with the gospel. I don't need your bad, good deeds. I want you to get honest with me, with yourself, and where necessary with others. These things aren't winning any points with me. Do you know the context when God says to obey is better than sacrifice? Don't keep offering these sacrifices when the issue of trusting me and obeying is right here and you just don't want to go there so you keep offering your sacrifices and keep showing up at church and keep, you know, checking off the boxes on your Bible reading program. I'm saying all this stuff because I know these dynamics and I've had to get real with God and myself. Oh, that's really costly. But listen, the whole point of this psalm is big neon letters. How blessed is the man who gets real. So don't try to hide it or ignore it or focus on other aspects of obedience that are a little more manageable for you. Conveniently selective obedience. Don't try to pull the wool over your own eyes and convince yourself that you're fine or that you're better than you are. Listen, this is like really serious stuff. I mean, when we do this, at first we feel guilty and uneasy and, you know, we turn up the radio and then, oh, before bed that night, we're looking at the ceiling and there it is again. And we can stiff arm the spirit, grieve the spirit. But eventually, listen, this can happen, right? And may it never be that anyone would allow this thing to take its course all the way to the end. If you keep up that game long enough, you'll be hardened in that trajectory and maybe even start believing the lie yourself that you're justified on the basis of all the other things that you've done to make up for this stuff that you are afraid to deal with. 
And here's what happens. If someone ever comes along and exposes, like kind of touches the nerve or challenges you in that area, like Jesus did with the money lover Pharisees, defensive and attack. So is, are there any nerves like that that people can touch? And, Whoa, why am I so defensive? So what do we do? Verse six, therefore let everyone who's godly, everyone, if, I mean, this is the Christian path. This is like what it looks like to trust God. Offer prayer to you. Don't keep silent. Don't hide. Don't run. At a time when you may be found. Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, which sounds a lot like at a time when you may be found. Seek the Lord. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. How blessed is the man who just gets totally free because he's gotten real with God and with himself. Or Gene read it, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course we're sinful. Of course we've got sin. If you say you've got no sin, you're a liar. <laughs> the truth isn't in you. What's it look like to walk in the light? Get real with God about your sin. Walking in the light does not mean sinless perfection. Otherwise, 1 John 1, 9 doesn't make any sense. If we confess our sins, he's fit. Oh, so those who walk in the light, sin, sin, yeah. If you sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Confess your sin. So, over and over again, it's here's the blessed path, trust me. Here's the blessed path, trust me. Get honest with me and then we're gonna get somewhere. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. So those who deal honestly with their sin have dealt with their sin, getting honest with God, covered by the blood of Jesus, we've got nothing to fear, okay? There's no deep, dark secrets that will be brought to light through some circumstance or certainly even at the end because you've already brought those things out into the light and found the blessedness of forgiveness and the cleansing and the covering that only comes by grace. Verse seven, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God is our hiding place. If you're in Christ, you are safe. You will be surrounded with shouts of deliverance. Okay, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? Jesus won the victory on the cross that we could never win. And he wants to set us free. And when we experience that freedom, it's like victory shout goes up all around, you know? Shouts of deliverance. Yes, I am free. No more does sin and guilt and shame just weigh me down. You can breathe again. You can stand up straight. So who's going to cover your sin? You, hiding it, or God? 
by the blood of Jesus. David knows what it's like to try to cover up his sin. We probably all know it as well. We know it doesn't work. God opposes the proud who cover their sin. But David also knows that God gives grace to the humble who don't try to cover their sin. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So you can hide your sin and be surrounded by fears of exposure. Or you can expose your sin and have God be your hiding place and surround you with joyful shouts of deliverance. You can sing freely (laughs) of his freeing mercy. So if we try to hide, we'll be exposed. If we expose, he'll hide us. If we try to cover, there's no cover. If we uncover, he'll cover. So don't run from him. Don't rebel against him. Run to him. Kids, I was in fifth grade when I was hiding my sin and like chained to it. I was so scared to actually get real with God. Teenagers, You may be enslaved by something. You're just hiding, so afraid. What would people think? What would my parents think? What? God wants to set you free. He wants to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you the blessing of walking in the light. That's his loving heart. So it may blind and hurt at first. It was painful to step, in, step out in the light. I actually remember I was dating Beth at the time, I think. Yeah. And I said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, I need to get accountable. And I shared it with her. I shared it with my dad, actually. And yeah. So if you need somebody to step out into the light, you're in student ministry, talk with Chad or Kristen or Jean, your parents. So yes, it may blind and hurt at first, but it is the path of of freedom, cheating, lying, stealing, hidden sins. We can do it as kids and teenagers. It's just more sophisticated when we get older. Same stuff. And the Lord, by his spirit, so Satan wants to rub your nose in your guilt and your sin and wag his finger and just bury you under condemnation. The spirit of God wants to shine the light, not to rub your nose in it, but to set you free. That's how you can know the difference between the voice of the evil one, the accuser, and the voice of the spirit. So the Lord, by his spirit, will dog you. He will nip at your heels. He will keep your feet to the fire out of love. You've got to deal with this. Like, praise God he doesn't let us off the hook. Don't chafe at that. Don't, like, leave me alone. He's doing it out of love. He wants to set you free and bless you. How blessed is the one. And so now God speaks wisdom. Point number four, verses eight to 10. I will instruct you. This is God speaking now. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. So again, the blessing of forgiveness and freedom and walking in the light, living honestly with yourself and God and others, it's the path of wisdom. Let me teach you this path of wisdom. Trust me. Don't be a foolish, stubborn mule. (laughs) 
It's foolish to be stubborn like a mule with God. As if, as if, why do we get stubborn with God like a mule? As if he's trying to hurt you or make you miserable. Run away, run away. So Pepper, our dog, got conjunctivitis, which is pink eye. And I didn't know the dogs could get this, but they can. And so took Pepper to the vet, got some drops, seven days, three times a day. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And we love that dog, but man, like she loves us and she wouldn't bite us. But like, you know that thing when a dog gets really angry and they're, they're like, like the, what, what, what is this stuff? Like the lips kind of like wave, you know? The teeth are bared. She got like that with us, trying to get these, we had to get really creative, you know, peanut butter on. The, hey, Pepper, and wait till she falls asleep and, you know, like rubbing her head and get the little, it was ridiculous. Okay, so whole point is stubborn Pepper Come on, we're trying to bless you. We, want, we don't want you to lose your eyesight. So don't be like that. Trust him. I'm preaching to myself too. Trust him. He loves us. He wants to bless us. Listen, I'm a parent. That's not news. I hate compelled obedience, don't you? Come on, like all the parents, you know, say amen. You know, you say, hey, could you do this? It's not unreasonable. You're not, you know, being the slave driver and, uh, you know, and like rolled eyes and sighs and, no, uh, really? You know, like, here's why I bring that up. Not to slam my kids. I love my kids. I do that. I'm more like a mule with God Like he wants internally driven, willing trust and obedience. Don't be like a mule or a horse without understanding. Must be curbed with bit and bridle or it won't stay near you. So William Cooper wrote a poem which became a hymn called Love Constraining to Obedience. In the last stanza it goes like this. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice. How blessed. Changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Lord, make it be. So you can run from God, searching for a way to avoid his omniscient eye, or you can run to God and look at verse eight. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. His omniscient eye will watch over you and lead you in the way you should go, the blessed path. The Lord wants our hearts. He wants our obedience to be compelled from within, from trust and love, not merely compelled by external goads and prods. He'll do it. You know, he disciplines us because he loves us. But he wants our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver, for instance. Or elders are exhorted in 1 Peter 5 to shepherd the flock willingly, not under compulsion. Or, I was reading Philemon, I love that little book, this week a couple times, and Paul could have just commanded him, but he appealed to him. He wanted his obedience to come from the inside, from the heart. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Christ's love, the love of Christ compels us. Like that would be a good study if you're looking for a study is, Read the Bible with your eyes peeled for 
obeying from the heart, like how God wants us to be changed and how he wants us to follow him from within. So let's give our hearts wholeheartedly to the Lord. He's good, he does good, we can trust him. Verse 10, many are the stars of the wicked. So don't go that path, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. How blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. How blessed is the one against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity. He doesn't want to lead us into sorrows, sorrows of the wicked. Mourning for our sin, sure, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, but not the sorrows of the wicked. He wants to instead surround us with his steadfast love, surround us with songs of deliverance. What do you want surrounding you? Many blessings or many sorrows? Your choice. Here we go. Psalm 32. Do you want a haunted house of voices mocking your hypocrisy because you refuse to yield to the Spirit's conviction? Or do you want the steadfast love of the Lord to those who trust him to surround you? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you want close communion with God or do you want to save face? Do you want to know God and walk with God or do you want to look good and continue to rearrange your fig leaves? Do you want a clean conscience and peace of mind and heart? I remember hearing one time, it's always stuck with me, a clean conscience is the softest pillow. Do you want a clean conscience and peace of mind and heart or do you want the burden and worry of managing your image and covering your tracks and protecting yourself from exposure? Do you want to walk alone? Do you want to trust yourself with your image management? Or do you want to just scrap the whole tiresome business, futile business, and get real with God, with yourself, and with others? Commentator Peter Craigie writes this. We're just about done here. So, in the words of St. Augustine, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. Indeed, it is recorded that Psalm 32 was Augustine's favorite psalm. I didn't know that till this week. That he read it frequently and that before he died, he had its words inscribed on the wall by his sickbed to be both exercised and comforted by them. It is a fundamental psalm illustrating powerfully the prerequisite of spiritual health, namely a self-conscious awareness of one's sinful life and of the necessity of acting upon that awareness and confession before God. And further, the psalmist establishes that justification and forgiveness for mankind are not achieved on the basis of law, but on the basis of divine grace as we get real, repent, and believe which flowed in response to the faith of the one who confessed and sought forgiveness. That's the Romans passage. Romans 4 that Jean read quotes Psalm 32. The psalm is thus central to the gospel and points out the path of true happiness to sinners aware of their need for forgiveness. So do you see, do you know the blessedness that God wants to give us here? Look at how the psalm ends. Point five, joy. Verse 11. Be glad in Yahweh. And rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Okay, ready? Here's the test. Class, who are the righteous in Psalm 32? 
Not the sinlessly perfect ones, as if they exist. Not the people who seem to have it all together, put up a good righteous facade. The righteous ones in Psalm 32 are the sinful, honest with God ones. Just like 1 John 1. Who are the upright in heart? Those who are honest about their sin and run to the Savior. We've got an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So how blessed is the one who knows forgiveness and full atonement and freedom of soul. You can, have, you can be like comfortable in the skin of your soul because you know who you are and God's accepted you as you are, dealt with all your sin. He loves you. You don't have to perform and put up a front. How blessed is the one. You can rejoice. You can shout for joy. David started out with groaning and misery, and he ends up with joy and rejoicing, and God wants the same for us. Psalm 30, I love it. Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. So aren't you glad that Psalm 32 is true? Anybody? If you're in Christ, you've been forgiven. All your guilt is gone. You are free. How blessed is the one. So little closing thought here before we transition to the communion table. Don't you think some of the worldlings that God has placed in your life need to hear you say so? How blessed is the one. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The psalm that Adam preached this past summer. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be free. How blessed is the one. So maybe this week, this question will kind of ring in your ears and you can pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk to somebody about their guilt because everybody experiences it. Where do people go if they don't have Jesus? So ready? Simple question. Like seriously, ask somebody this week. So you, you experience guilt, right? We all do. Every, what do you do with your guilt? Just ask your neighbor, your coworker, your schoolmate. And see, maybe God will give us opportunity to lead another person into the blessing that Psalm 32 describes. So the musicians are going to come up now and we're going to participate in the table. How fitting is it that this psalm falls on a communion Sunday? So if you are trusting in Jesus, he's your savior. You have turned from your sins, trusted in Christ. The table is for you. But it is an ongoing means of grace because we're all prone to wander, right? And it's a good opportunity. It's a time where we reflect and say, Lord, I need your grace. I need I need your forgiveness and your cleansing for this and this. And if you need to get something right, maybe you need to just stop and go make a phone call. That's great. So it's an opportunity to reflect and prayerfully prepare our hearts to receive. We eat and drink the bloodshed, the body broken for us so that our unrighteousness, he took care of it gives us his righteousness. We have peace. We have all this blessing that it's ours. And so it's a moment to just pause and say, Lord, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with you?
Is there anybody I need to be honest with other than you? Help me walk in the light and receive the grace and forgiveness and reminders of God being for you that will strengthen your soul. If you are not in Christ, if you're not trusting him as your savior, that's okay. We're glad that you're here. Just, you know, you can pray quietly as like, Lord, Jesus, I don't know if I believe all this, but please, if you're real, make yourself real to me. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. Okay, so if you haven't had a chance to grab the elements, there's tables back there. You can grab it now and be some just instrumental here while we prayerfully prepare our hearts and then I'll lead us through participation in the table in just a moment.